Thank God. Let's open our Bibles today. Tonight, we're going to the promised land. You guys coming with me? Amen. All right. And uh, we're in Exodus. <laughs> As we journey with the Israelites to the promised land, you might ask yourself, why are we spending so much time reading these Old Testament stories on Wednesday nights? And uh, you know, Wednesday nights often we'll go, to, we'll go through a book in the New Testament. We went through, well, Hebrews, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians, so, yeah, 2 Corinthians, uh, Colossians, 1 Peter. We went through all of these. But there's a reason we're doing it to, uh, in these next few Wednesdays. And, and the scripture actually in the New Testament says that the things that happened to the Israelites were an example for us. It says that we need to learn from what they did. You might say, well, we're, we're different. We're in the New Covenant. You're absolutely right. But there are parallels. And if there weren't parallels, you'd have to explain to me why they're brought up so often in the New Testament. So here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, these things happen to them as an example for us. What's the old saying? If we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. It's good for us to look back and see what people did right and see what people did wrong and see the benefits of trusting in a, God, in a real God. So let's turn to Exodus chapter, well, we're going to find ourselves in chapter 5. Last week, we talked about Moses and how he had to get over his own inadequacy in order to be the voice of redemption, in order to be the voice of deliverance. He had to get over himself so that God could use him to bless somebody else. And we talked about this, how God has put you, often puts you right in between a miracle and somebody who needs that miracle. And we're always saying, well, let me get out of the way. But God puts you there on purpose. God, God is the one that places his people as vessels to be used. And so, so many times we say, well, I, I don't want to be that. I don't want that pressure on my life. But this is what you've been designed for. God is not walking through the malls laying hands on people. He told you to do that. God is not going preaching the gospel with angels. He used his people to do that. So uh, Moses had to get over all of his, his I can'ts. And he met face to face with the great I am. And the great I am is everything that we're not. Everything we need him to be. He is I am. Of course, that name that he showed Moses, he had not revealed that name to the rest of the Israelites. And that name was Yahweh. If you weren't here last week, I just explained some, a basic Bible, um, just a helpful tool for you. Many of your translations... Um, have two words translated as Lord, and uh, one of them in your, in your Bible, not everybody's Bible's like this, but a lot of ours are, where Lord is capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, but then you'll see in your Bible, all uppercase L-O-R-D, and that's the only word, well, it's maybe one of two it's the only one really that is capitalized like that in the Bible, every single letter. And the reason is, is because just the capital L with all the other lowercase, that word Lord is just Adonai. And you'd use that, you'd use it for God, but you'd also use it for your boss at times. You'd use it for a king. Whereas capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is actually the Hebrew name Yahweh. It's not Hebrew word, it's a Hebrew name, Yahweh. 
It's the name God gave himself. I wish my Bible translated it as Yahweh. Lord kind of takes some of the oomph out of it. You might say, well, how in the world? I thought Lord was a pretty high name. Yahweh has so much to it. There's so much richness to it. I, I, so what I'm going to do tonight is when we run across that name, and it says Lord, but it's, it's capital, all capital Lord, it's Yahweh, we're just going to read it as Yahweh because it's really important, especially in this part of the Bible, uh, because you realize that God said to Moses, I'm going to reveal to you my name. Nobody, I haven't revealed it to these people. I'm going to reveal it to you. My name is Yahweh. And it's going to come up here in chapter 5 as well. But what we're going to talk about is, uh, is, is our ability to respond and to hear when God has a way of escape, when God has a path of deliverance, when God has healing for us, when God has salvation for us, it requires us to hear. How many of you have seen an action movie where someone says, come with me if you want to live, right? Have you seen that moment? You know, God says that all throughout the Bible in different ways. He says, come with me if you want to live. Well, you have to do something, don't you? If you're in the movie, you got to jump in the car or get on the bike or do whatever. You know, you got to go with that person. In the Bible, when God says it, you've got to respond to it somehow. Jesus went to every village and proclaimed, I believe he proclaimed something very similar to what he did in his own hometown. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me out of Isaiah 61. And here's all the things he's anointed me to do. To open the eyes of the blind, to, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to, to set at liberty those who've been oppressed and, 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 and held captive, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, all of these things. And he proclaimed those things, and then people came responding to that. You notice in Luke chapter 4, he says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Proclaim, proclaim, preach, proclaim. All of the things he said, is, except for set at liberty those who are oppressed, all of them have to do with him preaching or proclaiming something. And when he proclaimed it, people came and responded to his proclamation. So you have women like the, you have people like the woman with the issue of blood who heard about Jesus and she went to him. Jesus didn't come kicking her door and say, I hear somebody needs a healing, smacked his hand on her head. She responded to his invitation. And because of that, she was healed. God wants for you to have what he's promised you, but you have to respond to that. There's a couple of things that make it harder. There's things that make it easy. There are times when it is so easy to respond to God. I mean, there, you, you know what I'm talking about. There are times when you're just in the right place to hear, and you're just in the right, you're, you're facing the right direction, your heart's in the right place, but there are other times where it's going to take more diligence for you to lean in and hear God's word of deliverance for your life. And so I want to just talk to you about that as we move into Exodus chapter 5. You remember the people cried out to God. God heard their cry and he sent Moses. And when God sent Moses, what did he say to Moses? I'm going to send you and I'm going to bring them, I'm going to deliver them from the hands of the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and I'm going to bring them into a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what God wanted to do. God used a man to get that message to them. This is the message they've been praying for for a long time. In Exodus chapter 5, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is 
this Yahweh, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh. And besides, I will not let Israel go. So you see how Pharaoh's approaching it. The Egyptians are not monotheists. They don't believe in one God. They believe in several. Moses says, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, says, let these people go and they're going to worship Yahweh in the wilderness. Pharaoh says, I've never heard of Yahweh. Who's this guy? Why should I listen to him? Why should I, why should I do this? And so he, re- he responds with a hardened heart. He rejects it in verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. So you remember, the Israelites are slaves. So all Pharaoh sees is, if I give these guys a holiday, what Pharaoh doesn't know that going out to the wilderness, they're never coming back. He doesn't know that yet. All he knows is they're taking time off work, and I need them to work. They're slaves. What, what right do they have to go worship their God? He says, get back to your labors. And again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? Now, hang on for a minute. Stop there at verse 5. I want you to go back for a second and and look at chapter 4. In verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders and the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. Does anybody remember the signs? Throw a staff on the ground, pick it up. Or throw the staff on the ground, it'll turn into a snake. Pick it up again, turns back into a stick. Stick your hand in your shirt, it'll come out like, like a leprous hand. Stick it back in, it'll be fine. Take some water out, put it on the ground, it'll turn into blood. So he did these things in front of the people. Now watch what it says. So the people believed. Good news, right? And when they'd heard that, the, that Yahweh was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he'd seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshiped. That's a good response. Guys, that's a great response. And you know, lots of people respond that way when they see a miracle. Praise God. Do you know, it's not wrong to respond because you saw a miracle. It's wrong if for the rest of your life you only believe if you see a miracle. But Jesus said this. He said, if you don't believe what I say, at least believe because of the works I perform. So, so Jesus said, you know, at least believe because you saw something cool. At least, or not cool, but, but impossible. At least be, believe because of these miracles. So believing because of a miracle is, is a starting point that God will use. But if you're going to grow in the faith... You can't say, because what did Jesus say? But blessed are those who believe and they haven't seen. If you're going to grow in the faith, you've got to move past just believing just when you see something and move past just that faith. I, no matter what I see, I know that his word is true. Baby Christians, they might, they might need to see something. And you know what? Just because you're a mature believer doesn't mean God's going to stop doing miracles. He wants to do even more in your life. Thank God we're not done with miracles, my goodness, because miracles aren't just to make you believe, right? They're not just to get you to believe something. They are an extension of the character of God. So Jesus didn't heal people so that he could prove he was the Messiah. Jesus healed people because he had compassion on them, right? 
But the Israelites believed. They saw miracles. They, they, they believed and they did the right thing. They bowed low and worshiped. Now watch what happens after Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, get back to work. Then he gets angry. He gets angry that they even ask. And he says, look, the people of the land are now many. This is verse 5. And you would have them cease from their labors? So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You're not to reduce any of it because they're lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. You see, often when we have our own issues with God, we project it on other people. So Pharaoh, all of his, all of his piety, all of his religious nature is just a show. It's just a show. So he figures that it's just a show with everybody else, right? So he, he does sacrifices to his gods. He does all that. But I don't really think he believed most of it. So when the Israelites want to go out and sacrifice to their God, he doesn't actually believe that they want to sacrifice to their God. He thinks they're just trying to get time off work. But he's so angry about it that he tells them, you're going to, I mean, because they have to make bricks. Not only do they have to build the monuments for Pharaoh and build cities for him, but they have to make their own bricks. So far, they've been given the materials, then they make the bricks, then they build the stuff. But now he says, don't even give them straw. Let them find their own materials, then make the bricks, but they have to make the same amount they always make. Come on, guys, you can do the math. If you were making a, a certain amount of bricks and you're working hard, and I believe they were working hard because the Bible said God made them mighty. God blessed them. I believe the blessed people of God work hard even when they're working under wrong conditions. I believe they worked hard. So they've got materials. They're making bricks. Then Pharaoh takes away part of their materials and they have to scrounge it and they still have to make the same amount of bricks. That's hard. It's not fair, it's not easy, it's hard. So here's what happens. He says, let their labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I'm not gonna give you any straw. You can go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered throughout all of the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? Then the foremen of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are being beaten, but it's the fault of your own people. But Pharaoh said, you're lazy, very lazy. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to Yahweh. So he can't grasp that they actually want to worship God. He doesn't believe it. Just thinks they're lazy. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told that you must reduce, you not reduce your daily amount of bricks. And when they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. For you have made us odious. In other words, you made us smell bad in Pharaoh's sight. You made us somebody he doesn't want to look at. And in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. Now, hang on for a second. You see how this happens? You ever been in a service or been in a time of prayer and God gave you the answer you needed and you believed it and you grabbed onto it? But immediately after that, there was a pushback. Like, is it any coincidence that after some of the biggest high, spiritual highs in your life, there is an immediate attack that makes it feel like one of the biggest lows? And the reason is, is because the enemy is trying to steal the word from your heart. What did Pharaoh say to, his, to his, his men? He said, make them work so hard they won't listen to these words anymore. The enemy wants to harass you so much, keep you so tired, keep you so beat down, keep you so busy that you no longer are listening for the voice of God. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. Sometimes the enemy doesn't need to do a thing. We make ourselves busy. You don't give yourself space to hear from God. You'll be working for the answer when all you needed to do was take some rest and hear the answer from God. And we work so hard to try to make the answer happen when, all, when what you need is to hear from the Lord. It doesn't mean you stop working, but it means that you give Him room to speak. Here's what happens. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of the land. In other words, God's saying, I gave him a chance to do it out of his own will. I gave him a chance to do this the easy way. God said, you could do this the easy way, or you could do this the hard way. Pharaoh chose the hard way. He said, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. All right, fair enough. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Are you grasping the importance of this moment? God said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me. But I'm letting you know me even more than they knew me. I'm letting you go deeper in relationship with me than they did. I did not tell them my name. I am Yahweh. And it's in those moments Man, come on, guys. What did Moses do to deserve this, this intimacy? Moses just finished saying, God, why did you do this to me? God, why are you hurting your own people? God, Moses just finished yelling at God, and God said, listen, I'm Yahweh. I'm the same God that appeared to your great, 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 great grandfather and his son and his son. But listen, I didn't tell them my name. I'm telling you something they didn't know. I'm letting you come even closer than they came. Now, if that doesn't give you some courage, what will? I established my covenant with them. And I gave them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I've heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Furthermore, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh. 
And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people. And I will be your God. And you should know, you shall know that I am Yahweh your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. Yeah, do you kind of get the the feeling that God's trying to hammer in a point here? (laughs) Right? The amount of repetition here seems to say something. What is God saying? Why does he keep repeating his name? Because his name carries everything about him. His name carries his nature. His name carries his power. His name, he's saying, I'm not going to go back on my covenant. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Don't talk to me like I'm going to betray my people because that's what Moses did and that's what we do. Guys, you may not have said that to God, but we've all had those moments where we thought, God's not coming through. We've all had those moments where our heart went that way. God's response is, do you know who I am? I'm Yahweh. You may break your word. They may break their word. I don't break my word. I made a covenant. And I keep my covenant. Remember my name. What's my name? (laughs) Remember that. It's Yahweh. (laughs) Maybe one of these Wednesdays we'll do a great study on, on, on the depth and complexity of that name, Yahweh. But... I just want you to see the importance of it. If, he go, if this many times he says, I'm Yahweh, I'm Yahweh, they will know I'm Yahweh. Your, your great-grandparents didn't know my name. I'm telling you it now. I'm Yahweh. I think it probably is important. And he says this. So Moses, verse 9, spoke thus to the sons of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses on account of of their despondency and their cruel bondage. That word despondency literally means shortness of spirit. Numa being the Greek word for spirit, ruad being the Hebrew, in, so this is Hebrew, ruad. Uh, spirit also is breath. So you could translate that shortness of spirit or shortness of breath. But it was a, a spiritual shortness of breath, so they both work. Did you read that with me? He said, they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency, their shortness of spirit, and their cruel bondage. Remember the response when he first told them this? They rejoiced. They believed it. It says, they, it says the people believed Moses, and they worshiped God. I don't know how many people I've seen that got and just received the word of God they got it. Man, I mean, people on the edge of their seat just like heard the word, believed it, went out of here celebrating. What did Jesus say? There are those that receive the word with joy and immediately affliction comes, immediately persecution comes to steal the word from their heart. And because they don't have roots, the sun comes out. It, it, they don't have any roots. It says that the hard times come, the difficult times come. Satan tries to steal the word, and, and it, it goes away because they didn't have any roots. So we've got to be the kind of people that hear the word of God and know that the enemy is not, he's not trying anything new. He will always come to steal that from you. But he has no right to take what God gave you. 
He has no ability to make God a liar, right? But what does the Bible say? It says, you have need of endurance so that after receiving the promise of God, you will reap the harvest in due season if you faint not, if you don't quit. So what's the only thing that can stand between you and what God has promised you? You giving up. The devil has no power to take a promise of God from you. But you have the power to give it up. You do have the power to give it up. So what Satan will do is what Pharaoh did. Keep you so beat down, busy, harassed, tired, that you no longer listen. And you no longer could hear. They could not hear what Moses said because, they were so, because of the cruelness of the Egyptians and their own shortness of spirit. You know... Um, there's a phrase that I used to use quite, I used to use when I'd talk about this topic. I'd say, you know, um, you, you can sometimes start out believing God and then life beats it out of you. And I stopped saying that because I, I think that, and I understand it still makes sense to me, but I stopped saying that because I want to use the word life like God uses it. And, and he is the God of life. So it's not, his, it's not life that beats it out of you. It's, it's, the, it's the world. It's the affairs of this world that beat it out of you. If you'll let it. You have to be ready for the counterattack. You have to be ready that when you decide you're going to go free, somebody's not going to be happy about it. Right? You guys know you came out of the world. You know what it was like coming out of the world. When you came out of the world, you stopped serving the devil and you started serving God. Do you think the enemy's happy about that? No. Now, the enemy's not happy that you're going to heaven. He's not happy that you're in the family of God, but he will settle, now that you're born again, he will settle for you settling. He will settle for you living a Christian life where you give up on everything you believe and you still believe in Jesus, you still believe you're going to heaven, but you believe barely anything else. He'll settle for that. We just sang a song, we can, Jesus in your name, we could change the world. That kind of person won't change the world. They won't change their city, they won't change their workplace, they won't even change their house. Because things got tough and you let the toughness of what was going on get down inside of you. So how do we react, guys? Imagine you're the Israelites. You heard God send Moses, I'm here to set you free. You responded the right way. You said, well, I believe you. And you worshiped God. But maybe you thought that the moment he said it, it was easy street from then on. Imagine with me what they were imagining. Can we just imagine what they were imagining? I know that sounds <laughs> like <laughs> inception or something. We're imagining what they're imagining. Can you imagine what I'm imagining they're imagining right now? Imagine with me. All right? Go deep with me, all right? I imagine, this is my thought, that when Moses said, I've come to set you free, look at these signs, look at these miracles, look at these wonders, they assumed that when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, they would go at that moment. Nobody thought Pharaoh would say no. Nobody thought that. Did God say Pharaoh won't say no? Did God say Pharaoh will let you go as soon as they ask? No, but they probably made that assumption. I would have made that assumption. I've made the same assumption. I said, well, oh man, God promised it. All right, well, there's no more, there's no more opposition now. I got it. All right, let's go. And you know there's a counterattack. 
And when things got even harder for them after they believed. See, that's why people will say, oh, I mean, you told me, you told me that this, you told me that God said this, and you told me the word said this, but you know what? After I believed that, it actually got harder. Well, yeah, it did. You're finally pushing back. And when you finally start pushing back, somebody's going to push back at you, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That counterattack is, is just a sign that you're actually winning again. I have this book, and I think I've told you about it, but I have this book, and it's an account of a man who fought in the Pacific in World War II, and he was in the, in the mortar brigade. And, I mean, he went through Peleliu, he went through Okinawa, he went through all of those, like, really bad battles. And, and he, he said when he was in the mortar crew, there were some night battles where they couldn't see. It was raining, it was dark, there was no moon. And he said, so we were just blindly firing mortars, and we were trying to figure out where the, where the Japanese were. He said, he said, and we wouldn't know where they were, but we kept moving the artillery. We kept just moving the mortars over and over and over again until they started firing back at us. Then we knew we finally were hitting our target. So they actually were looking for the enemy to hit them back because the moment the enemy started firing back, they knew finally we're doing something. You got to look at it. When you get attacked by the enemy, don't look at it like God has forsaken me. God has abandoned me. What am I doing wrong? It could be you're doing something right. In fact, it's very likely that you're doing something right. So keep pressing. But how do I hear? Because honestly, you need to hear so that you can be delivered. You need to hear. So there is a way of escape. But what does Jesus say? Jesus is the one. He's the good shepherd that leads you out of the valley of the shadow of death, right? He's the one that leads you through the, his rod, his staff. They comfort you. But how does he lead you? It says, the, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me because they know my voice. I call them, and they follow. So the Lord wants to lead you with his voice. He wants to lead you with his word. He wants to lead you with his spirit. But if you're so beaten down and tired and hurt, and, and, and you know what got to them was the cruelness of the Egyptians, the cruelness of their circumstances beat them down so much that they could no longer hear the message of deliverance. Have you let the cruelness of life, the cruelness of the attack, the, the, the hardness of it steal the promise of God from your own heart? That's not God's will for you. God's will is for your deliverance. I want to remind you of what happened when uh, King David, you guys remember when King David um, came back with his men and they were amongst the Philistines and uh, they came back to their camp. This is before, um, this is before David was king, but he had a bunch of rebels. Saul was still against him. He was still a wanted man. And he had a bunch of rebels that were following him around and uh, fighting with him, fighting for him, and they gave their life for him. Uh, but they come back to their camp one day and they find it raided. And they find all of their stuff gone. They find their families gone. They found their houses and tents. Everything they had has, has been burned and destroyed or taken away. And what it says in 1 Samuel 30 
1 Samuel 30, verse 1, it says, It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that was their home base, their HQ, that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices, and they wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Can you imagine? I'm trying to imagine, but i got to admit it's difficult for me to imagine that level of despondency. I've had things taken from me, but I've never had my own family taken from me. I can't. I'm only trying to imagine how deep their grief might have been. They wept until they had no more strength for them to weep. Now David's two wives who'd been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What happened in verse 6? It says, David was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed. The people were greatly embittered. It's safe to say nobody's souls are in a real good place right now, right? Nobody's really feeling very strong in their spirits here. David did something no one else did. He strengthened himself in the Lord. You've got to think, David's family's been taken from him. I'm not going to comment on the fact that he had two wives, all right? Different time, different place. <laughs> but he's greatly distressed about this, but he's also greatly distressed because not only has he lost everything, he's lost the same stuff everybody else lost, but now people want to kill him. His own friends, his own guys want to kill him. He's greatly distressed, so he strengthens himself in the Lord. Watch what he does next. He strengthens himself in the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Abimelech, please bring me the ephod. If you don't know, the ephod was what they would use to inquire of the Lord in the Old Testament. Now, we don't need things like this today because we have the Holy Spirit. But they used this ephod. This was a thing that God gave them where they would, they would use these, this thing to inquire and ask God, what is your will in the matter? So he says, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to them, pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and his 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bazar, where those left behind remained. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bazar remained behind. Now let's stop. And, and, and we won't go further in the story. The, the end of the story is they get everything back. Praise the Lord. But I want you to notice something. David doesn't have a plan, does he? Does, does David know how to get his people back? No, he doesn't. What does he do? He inquires of the Lord. What does he have to do before he inquires of the Lord? He has to strengthen himself in the Lord. He understands this. In my present state, I'm not going to be able to hear what God has to say. 
I have to get over my own issues that I have with my friends who betrayed me, my own issues with God who, allow, who I'm thinking, why did you let my family get taken? I got to get over all these issues, my own distress, my own embitterment, and I need to strengthen myself in the Lord so that I'm in a place where I can hear the answer. Because God has the message for your deliverance. Your deliverance is tied to his word. Your deliverance is tied to his voice. The Bible says for everything a believer goes through, for every trial, for every temptation, he always provides a way of escape. Where is the way of escape? It's, it's his voice. It's his word. He has that way of escape. But you've got to be in a place where you can hear it. And I've had people show up at church. You might have been one of these people. I've been one of these people who show up at church and sit there and the very word that's being preached is the very word that would set them free if they'd only hear it, but they can't hear it because it's been hard. And they let the cruelty of life keep them from hearing the very thing that would deliver them. So what do you do? What do you do? think one of the first things you do is you just first come to a place of honesty with God. If you've read through the Psalms, you know that David is not afraid to talk to God about what his issues are. He's very honest with God. But many people take that and they think, well, then I just have a right to gripe at God. David had the respect and the honor for God that he brought his gripes, but he didn't stop until he heard what God had to say right? If you're going to bring your complaints to God, stick around. Don't just do a hit and run. God, I'm mad at you. God, why'd you let me know? Because that's not fixing anything. If you can bring it to the Lord, say, Lord, here's where I am. I'm honest. You see all things. I'm open before you. I'm having a difficult time. And you leave him room to, to work on that and to speak and to, and to minister to you. Israelites couldn't hear I mean, what, what, what was Moses trying to tell them? Guys, God came to deliver you. We're going. We're getting out of here. But they no longer could hear the very thing they were praying for. Isn't that the ironic thing? It was the very thing they were praying for that they couldn't hear anymore. The answer they'd been crying out for, the answer they were crying out to God for, they no longer could hear because things got too hard. Don't let the hardness and the cruelty of what the enemy throws at you distract you from the fact that there is a deliverer. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Your God is not allowing you to flounder. You have not been abandoned. God is not doing this to you. He's not the one doing this to you. He's the deliverer. Let's get that straight. There is an oppressor and there's a deliverer. And Jesus said they don't have any fellowship with one another. And so let's just understand that. The enemy wants to steal the word from your heart. But he can't if you don't let him. It's easy to hear the word in a moment of spiritual high. The difficulty is, do you believe it when the counterattack comes? What are you rooted in? David had to be honest. He had to come to the Lord and say, I need to strengthen myself, encourage myself in you because Lord knows there's nobody else around here to encourage me. All my encouragers are picking up rocks that are roughly the size of my temple. All my encouragers are giving me that look like they want my stuff when I'm dead. 
So I've got to do this for myself. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he like remembered one of his songs that he wrote. <laughs> and just started singing. I don't know if he just started saying what he, what he knew about God. But you can get a picture of the kind of things he might have said. Because if you read the Psalms, it tells you. There's songs he wrote right in that moment. There's songs he wrote. You can look it up. There, in those moments, you can tell what he's thinking because he made a song about it. And I'll tell you how it starts. It always starts with him saying, God, why is this happening? And it ends with him saying, I see it now. You're my deliverer. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my savior. You're my helper. Who do I have to be afraid of? You're on my side. Today, I don't know where you're individually at. You might be at that place where it is spiritual high time. Praise the Lord. You don't have to get down from that. Just stay on that. Go higher and higher. When the counterattack comes, here's what you do. First of all, you know who the deliverer is and you know who the oppressor is and you don't mix them up. But you keep trusting in God. You say, well, of course there's an attempt to steal this from my heart. Of course there's an attack on me. That's no surprise. But I still, I, I, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There's no attack, no weapon formed against me will prosper. There's nothing that's assigned against me which can take me from what God's promised. So I'm going to hang on to the promises of God. And I am going to listen. Don't be too busy to listen. Don't be too tired to listen. I'm going to share something with I'm going to close with this thought, but I'm going to share something with you that, uh, you know, one of my spiritual fathers just spent some time with me a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how in our lives there are some of the same attacks that attack us in the past, and even ones that we've beaten cycle around and attack us again. He brought out the example of Peter, how Peter had been attacked in some of the same areas over and over again. And one thing he said to me that just stuck with me, he said, he said, you know, when the enemy brings this against you, you can beat it hand to hand. He said, but the more you, the more you begin to recognize the, the devices of the enemy and the attacks of the enemy, you see it from a far way off. He says, and you can snipe it off before it even gets close to you. He says, and you can know the warning signs when you're tired. When people let you down, when you're disappointed, these are the warning signs. That's when the enemy wants to attack you in those places. Recognize the warning signs. When you're tired, when you're busy, when you're disappointed, when all these things, these are the times when the enemy will try to take advantage of it. Recognize it and run to him. Not the enemy, run to God. And he said, what, what this guy said, what this man said to me, who I greatly admire, he said, he said and, and through time, you'll see it from further off. He said, because when you fight it hand-to-hand, you're usually a little bit more scarred by it. It takes longer, and, and, it, and it, it does more damage to you. But the more you recognize the enemy's attempts, you'll see it, you'll recognize it from far off. Your opportunity to get offended with somebody. You guys notice that? Why do I feel offended at them? Why did I take that the wrong way? Just when, I'm, just when I'm in a place where God is speaking to me, just when I feel like I took a step deeper into him, all of a sudden somebody said something to me that really rubbed me the wrong way and I'm feeling offended, recognize that's not you, that's the enemy. And don't, don't receive it. No, I'm not going to be offended with them. 
What does the Bible say? It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, holding on to your anger is a foothold for the enemy in your life. So don't give it to him. Don't let the enemy take advantage of you when you're tired. And guys, if you're finding out week after week you're, you're too tired to hear from God, change your schedule. I mean, I mean it. Is there anything more valuable than him? No. So if you're too tired every week to hear from the Lord, change something. Prune something off. And another thought, here's the, here's the cycle, is that a lot of times you're getting, you're getting enough sleep, you're getting enough rest, and you're still tired. And the reason is, is because there's a spiritual fatigue that until you deal with that, you're, you don't know why you're so tired physically. That's why. But I believe for better things concerning you. I believe that every time we get together, every time you open your Bible, the Lord has a message of deliverance for you, a message of redemption, a message of hope, a message of strength for you. The question isn't whether he's going to do it. The question is, can you hear it? Don't let shortness of breath, shortness of spirit keep you. Don't let the cruelty of what's been thrown at you keep you from hearing the very thing that's going to set you free. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me. All right.